at five different nationalities. We've gone from early 20s to mid-60s, from GEDs to master's degrees that have been students with us. And we have seen radical changes in their lives, not just professionally, but we've seen them personally. And the way that that happens is when we break down that wall that says, why have you not made it in life? And we start figuring out how to help them make it in their life. Most of the things that have been their roadblocks are not their their fault. They're things that have happened to them. But one of the key components are the people that come in as champions. And a lot of people don't understand what that term is, so I'm going to take just a minute and share it with you. A champion's not someone who comes in and knows everything. They're not someone who has all the answers. They're not someone who's the CEO of their company or has the largest bank account or home within this church or community. They are a person who's decided that another life is worth investing in. There's someone who's decided that they're going to not just have gifts that God's given them. They're going to use the gifts that God's given them. They're going to be fruitful in building the kingdom, and they're going to watch the Lord do his work and God be huge in his lives, and we're going to be the church. That's what champions do when they come aside these students. And what happens to the students is they start having renewed hope. They start seeing possibilities. Two quick examples I'm going to give you is at our first graduation, we had a student who came up because each student speaks, and she came up to this podium in this room, and she said, thank you. And she paused like that. And then she said, thank you. Two simple words that we use all the time, but I have to use tonight because everywhere I've gone in my life, I've been invisible until I walked into Jobs for Life, and my life changed. She's since had a job and been promoted to another one. We've had multiple students that got jobs. One has already been promoted twice. One started their own business. One has advanced their own business, and several others got the job that they have been waiting for for years. What's so special, too, are those who come in who are unhappy even in a job or a circumstance. And a graduate at our last class came up, and she also had experienced it. She absorbed the class like a, the greatest sponge and put it into her life. And this is a text I got from her just a week ago. I just completed another certificate and now have excelled in another area on my job. I have been asked now to head up a review committee for a PDF program that we're implementing I signed up to head up our food bank. Life is good. Life is good. Four sentences that told me that in four months, her personal and professional life had been completely turned around. So I want to ask you to do this. Two questions. You can ask them now. You can ask them this afternoon or this week. God, are you calling me to lead somebody to be a student? Is there someone that I need in my life, whether it's a child, myself, a family member, someone that's in a small group or that I work with that I should encourage to do this because of their circumstances where their life could be changed? Or are you asking me actually to be that person and invest in their life? And then wait for him to talk. Because for four months now, I've been praying for the people that the Lord is calling. Just in one sentence, I say, Lord, let them say yes to you. It's not my invitation. Let them say yes. And when you do, you will see lives changed. And then you will look back and you will say, what did I do over the last four months that changed a life? 
But when you come into Jobs for Life, you'll be able to list the things you did that changed a life. I encourage you to do just that. And also to meet us at the table outside later if you have more questions. Some students and other champions will be there. Um, some of you are in the room now. You've served with us. Thank you. Your obedience to God changed lives, and you represented our church, and you build the kingdom in his name, and there is nothing that's more glorious than that. Thank you. Thanks, Ginger. So uh, please make sure your phones are on vibrate. And with, uh, I just have one other quick announcement. Um, Dan Bailey, David Bailey, excuse me, who's going to be teaching next week, um, is having a conference coming up in a few weeks. And I just want you to be aware of that. That's coming up on March the 23rd through 25th at West End Assembly of God. He's a wonderful speaker, and he's going to be working on the Ministry of Reconciliation. So without further ado, come on up. LJ. LJ is our missions pastor, and she'll also be introducing Dan later on this morning. Thanks. Would you guys join me in prayer as we lift up this morning to the Lord? Let's bow our heads in prayer. Father, we thank you so much for this opportunity that we have today and to get a better understanding, Father, about your heart for the world, understanding the whole gospel is for the whole world. Would you give us ears to hear today? Would you open up our minds and our hearts, Father? And Lord, would you use this time to not only inspire us, but to help us dig deeper in our relationship with you? It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So this morning, I'm going to give you the layout because it's going to be a little bit different than it was last week with Corey. So I'm going to spend some time, about 10 minutes, just talking through a couple of scriptures and some really interesting quotes that I thought you might enjoy today. And then we're going to have our guest speaker who's going to come up and share, and I'll introduce him a little bit later. And then if time permits, and this is a big if, if time permits, we will have Q&A. But here's the good thing. If time does not permit, you can stay after, and Dan and I will be around for a little bit, so we would, we're available to answer questions. So we have a little fallback plan there. Also, there's an opportunity that's going to come up later on. We're going to have to, um, I have someone that's going to share with you. And then we're going to close our time and read a scripture at the very end. So does that sound doable today? We can get all this done in the next few minutes? All right. And now all I have to do is figure out how to use all these gadgets, and we're good to go. I'm going to aim it this way. Okay, one of the things I wanted to, you know, Corey did a wonderful job. I would say even a magnificent job, as Corey often does when he's speaking. Um, last week, talking about God's heart for the world, talking about scripture, looking at um, culture. But today, I'm just going to spend this morning just a few minutes talking about the thread of scripture and, like I said, a couple of scriptures. Maybe something that is a little bit um, more brief that you can take home with you, you can chew on a little bit more. But I'd also encourage you to get the notes, if you have not already, that Corey had last week, and to take those and maybe use them as your own personal devotion during your quiet time. So I am a graduate of Fuller Seminary, and I did not go to the School of Theology. Shame, shame, shame. I went to the School of World Missions, which is now known as the School of Intercultural Studies. It was a great school, and I loved every single moment that I was there. One of the classes that I had was called Biblical Foundations for Mission, and it was Dr. Van Engen that taught the class, and he told us that there is a thread from script in Scripture from Genesis to Revelation that shows God's heart for the world, asking and telling and 
giving his people a nudge to be witnesses, to be the light and life to those around them who are different than they are. He also told us that we need to read the Bible as if it's one book with one introduction, one comprehensive story, and one conclusion, that God wants to bless us so we, in turn, can be a blessing. Oops, hey, I didn't do that. I didn't do that, Tom. I didn't do that. Now, I am not gifted technologically, but I didn't do that. <laughs> Great, that's good. Perfect, thank you. Okay, so Genesis 12, 1 through 3. This is something, Corey gave us a lot of information last week. I want you just to think about this one in particular today. Now, the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and kindred and your father's house to a land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that, notice that's in red, you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who curses you, I will curse. Oftentimes when we're reading that passage, we kind of stop right about there. But I want to bring to your notice not only that there is a 3A, but there, there also is a 3B. And 3B says, and by you all, notice I put that capitalized, it's important, the families of the earth will be blessed through you. So what does that mean, all the families of the earth will be blessed? Well, it's interesting to know what families means. Because families can also be translated. Peoples, tongues, tribes, ethnic groups, and nations. So what is God saying? He's saying that all the families will be blessed through you, Abraham. And all the families of the earth can be blessed through us today as the church of God. Here's a couple of fun quotes. Nothing exhaustive, but I was reading through my materials and I thought, gee, this would be fun to kind of quote during this morning. There's a book that I'm currently reading. It's called Misreading Scripture with Western Eyes, Removing Cultural Blinders to Better Understand the Bible. And that's a picture of the book right there. I also have a copy of the book with me if you would like to look at it. And I would highly recommend it. I haven't gone through the whole book yet, but what I have seen, I've been very impressed by. And it does give open our eyes to understanding that we have a particular way within our culture of reading and understanding the Bible that maybe someone else from another particular culture would see things completely differently. Now, here's this interesting quote, and it kind of echoes what Corey had said last week. Many sociologists estimate, oh, let me advance that for you. Many sociologists estimate that by 2050, the majority of the U.S. citizens will be non-white. Demographic changes in the United States population in general are changing the face of Christianity in the U.S. The average American church will look very different 20 years in the future than it did 20 years ago. Contrary to popular opinion, writes Sun Chang Ma, the church is not dying in America. It is alive and well but it is alive and well among the immigrant and ethnic minority communities and not among the majority white churches in the United States. I found that to be a bit 
something. It, I, it was impactful, if nothing else. And that doesn't mean that our job is done. Oh, that's great. The ethnic immigrant communities are doing really well. We are still to be that light and witness to them. But boy, don't we have something to learn. You know, it's interesting that they say that millennials, there's a decline in the church today within the U.S. of millennials, of our younger 20-somethings, right? Yet every three years I go to the Urbana Conference, and I bring a handful of kids with me. And I'm, as you get older, it gets more tiring. I, sh I should just mention that. But I still go. I, I forget about it. When three years rolls around again, I think, oh, I can do it again. I can do it. And then I try to keep up with the 20-year-olds. But the interesting thing that I've noticed over the years, every three years that I've gone, is that the population of the, the Koreans is growing substantially. And those are the ones, when I'm looking at the prayer times that we're having at the Urbana Conference, those are the ones that are crying out to God. So it's interesting to see what's going on in our world today. This is, an, uh, this is another, um, another quote from Western Christians in Global Missions, What's the Role of the American Church? And this is a book that's um, written by Paul Borthwick. Paul Borthwick is, uh, has been an university speaker for years. He's written multiple books. And... Um, he says, the Great Migration also has implications for our efforts at reaching our own cultures. Many of the people coming from other countries to North America are, are already Christians and come with a great zeal to preach the gospel. A church in, in a church in Illinois, a Uganda Ugandan family joined the church. And this is what the, the pastor quotes. He says, they put us to shame with their boldness in proclaiming Jesus. God used their example to awaken in us a greater burden for the non-believing people in our own communities. And then here's this other quote, which I thought was interesting. With the mass migrations of people, we may have the opportunity to reach people who were, up to this point, considered unreached. Not because we went to their place, but because they came to our place. The world is changing before our eyes. In Toronto, one of the most international cities in North America, a pastor observed, God called us to go to all the nations. We didn't go. So he's bringing the nations to us. That does not discount going. We need to go. We need to welcome those that are coming to us. And we need to be a light. Now, I'm excited because we're going to have someone come up and speak in just a second. His name is Dan Reeves, and I was connected with Global Frontier Mission when I first arrived um, just a few months ago and went to meet the people there. I found out that they had done all this demographic research of Richmond. Now, mind you, I had gone to Walmart on Parham. <laughs> I was so excited. I walked in there and I said, oh my goodness, I'm in the United Nations right here. This is very exciting to me. But I'm going to tell you a little bit about um, Dan. He and his family spent over five years living cross-culturally in Cyprus and Bulgaria. They worked with refugees and international students. He's going to tell you a little bit more about that as well. But they've done an extensive, extensive research on the demographics of this area. And that's what he's going to share with us. So would you please welcome Dan Reeves as he comes up. Good morning. Um, my, my kids are doing their best to give me a cold. So I've got the distracting bottle of water here just to 
warn my throat that I will rehydrate if I need to. Um, I include this picture of my family up there because I'm sure at least when I'm done speaking today, at least four people in this world will still talk to me. So I'm praying that more of you will stay after and uh, I'd be happy to answer any questions that might come up after my talk. So we've been on a journey of, uh, of multiple levels. Uh, geographic, we've been across the world and we've visited cities and churches uh, from many countries. We've been on a journey culturally, understanding where we are as, uh, as American Christians. Going into the world, suddenly you say, whoa, there are more Christians than just our own culture of Christians. And that was a really good journey. It's still ongoing. <clears throat> but I've also been through seminary for the most part and have been on a theological journey as well. And as these all come to, to marry and unify Scripture in my life, um, I'm, I'm, and, and as we come back to the RVA area, Richmond area, and look around and go to Walmart or anywhere, basically, in Richmond, we realize, wow, it's an exciting time to be alive. It's an exciting time to be a Christian and to look at our theology in a practical way where we can um, not just be who we are today, but who we would like to be tomorrow. So, the, so the, what I've been asked to do is, is talk about engaging the world next door, right? And, and looking at who we are today and how we've become um, what the biblical picture is for the, the global church. So, yes. Okay. You can go to, yeah, you can go to the next slide. So this is a picture of where we're at today. Uh, it's not a complete picture of where we're at today, so we won't spend a lot of time on it, but you can see many, many churches in this vicinity. Um, but we also know if you walk around, as LJ pointed out, it's not just this picture, right? And so if we go to the next slide, we start to see a bit more. Let me tell you a little bit about the data. Our group looks primarily at uh, cultures and peoples from non-Western backgrounds where, in parts of the world where um, the gospel isn't uh, thriving currently. And so a lot of our data pulls from that, ignores the Western church, it ignores um, cultures from uh, Central South America and other places. You can see that Wales snuck into our um, data a little bit. We would suggest that maybe they've had some influence of Christianity there. Um, so just ignore Wales if you would. <laughs> but this tells us a bit of a picture. Uh, if you look south of the river, west of downtown, out to 288, we can see that of, the five, of these five major world religions, Hinduism, Buddhism, Islam, Shintoism, and Sikhism, 2.8% um, of our population households have these uh, religions represented. If you look at the list below that, uh, basically the world is here, right? And if you go out in these communities where all those little red dots are, those are households that have um, representation of those world religions, right? Um, next slide, please. I'm going to drop this since I don't need it. Um, if we look in this vicinity, going from the, the fan district out to west of 288, south of 64, we can see that 4.6% of homes in this area have these religions represented. Um, and also an impressive list of countries. Next slide, please. And then if we go north of 64, west of 95, south of 295, 7.6% of the households have these five major world religions. So we're not alone here. If we thought the first slide of, of, of the map was accurate, it's not. That's a rea reality. It's not something that's coming. Our world is simply this way now, right? Our city is this way now. If you can go to the next slide, but we'll get a perspective of a non-Christian looking, non looking at our city, right? 
According to the Islamic Center of Richmond, as of 2015, there are more than 1,500 Muslim people living in just the West End. Within the next four years, there will be a population growth of over 230% estimated. By 2020, it's estimated we'll have a population of more than 5,000 Muslims living in, in Richmond. Um, Richmond's Muslim population is already three times higher than the national average. The zip codes from Richmond to D.C. are considered by most sources to be some of the fastest growing Muslim communities in the United States. So this is our reality, right? And so we can literally go outside of our door and encounter the world and encounter a plurality of religions, right? We have great diversity. We have all of the major world religions here, right? That's reality. The toothpaste is out of the tube. You try to put it back in, nothing good happens, right? Don't try. I have kids, I know. <laughs> um, so how does this make us feel? I think sometimes we go, uh, our first response is a bit of fear. If, if, we, if we look at that, it's different than we maybe have been, right? Maybe produces some uncertainty. Um, but for me, um, as I look at Scripture, as I look, like, look at a practical theology, um, I get excited because there's so much to be gained because this is true. Okay, I'm going to share a little bit about that with you. Um, next slide, please. Because as I look at Scripture, I see something in Revelation 7 that says, After this I looked, and behold, a great, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb. Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb. I'm not sure you've experienced... Um, this sort of worship happen in a multicultural setting. Uh, our church in Cyprus, when we lived there, averaged 35 nations on a Sunday, right? And I'll tell you, when you worship with that kind of diversity, you get a new appreciation for the beauty of humanity and what God is intending for humanity. So is this picture in Revelation something, a far-off destination that we just wait around for, right? Or is it something that we can actually partake in and pursue more and more here and now? I would suggest that the dem demographics say that it's possible now. I would, I would suggest that our gospel is one that does go out and it, and it does interact uh, across all the nations because this is the picture. This is the intention of God for humanity. So we have to remember that Jesus taught us to pray that the will of the Father is to be done here on earth as it is in heaven, more and more so until it's perfected, right? This is the will of the Father. Could we not view this passage as part of God's will to pursue here in RVA? Next slide, please. Uh, theologian Stanley Grant says this, From the start, God's plan was to establish community between himself and his creation, which finds completion in the eschatological vision. Right? It's something that we are going towards more and more so every day. So we have work to do. Um, next slide, please. So I'm going to pull from something that Pastor Corey dealt with a lot last week. He referenced the Imago Dei, the image of God in humanity. Right? We're all created in the image of God. Um, so I'm going to go really quickly through this for the sake of time. I'm going to do a little bit more reading than I would probably like to. And this whole discussion is probably much better over a cup of coffee than it is from behind a podium. And so, and likely more than uh, the next few minutes. So let me go through this quickly. Just follow along. And if you have questions afterwards, I'd love to dive into some of this later. But for the sake of time, 
Let's go. And I've been told you can listen quickly, right? You're kind of used to that. So let's go. Um, the image of God, Imago Dei, centered on Christ. Jesus is the perfect example of a human according to the Imago Dei. If we look to Christ, whom we follow as our Lord, we look at him as source for understanding ourselves. The image of God is known in history as perfect love. Nobody would, would suggest that Christ did not demonstrate perfect love to us as a human and also God. Jesus demonstrates the greatest love by laying down his life for all humanity. We see this in John 15 and throughout the scripture, throughout the gospel. Jesus' example provides the answer to unveiling the image of God within our humanity. We look to his life, we understand who we might and could be and should be. In our maturing discipleship, we must become like and share more and more the way, the truth, and the life of Jesus. Under the lordship of Christ, we capture our identity within the image of God by demonstrating love for one another. It's an eschatological expectation of God for humanity. We will be one as the Father and the Son are one. This links our identity to unity with God through Jesus with others, with all nations. Jesus confirms this, this via the greatest commandments to love God, our neighbor, ourselves, Matthew 22. This is an intentional link to God's own definition as love in 1 John 4.8. We could say it this way. Next slide, please. Humanity is created in the image of love, which is best known through the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And God's desire for humanity to ascend to its identity is seen in the great commission of Christ that his followers would make disciples of all nations. So my, my journey through the world, my cultural journey through the world, and my theolo theological journey unites all of Scripture in the love of Christ, the life of Christ, and its intentions for us as a diversified humanity under Christ's lordship. So this place is at the core of our expression of faith, a value of the image of God, which is to be unveiled in others, our own ascendancy is, a tied, is tied to the idea that love is always expressive, always expansive to the ends of the earth. Being created in the image of God and seeing others in this way actually impacts our lives. It impacts the way we address the world and approach the world. So this theological understanding that I've come to then changes, has a potential to change our posture, right? Because it's not that we don't know the gospel. It's not that we don't have words that we can proclaim. Next slide, right? Because we know about proclaiming the gospel in word, right? But sometimes and often, especially when you move outside of your, your own cultural group, right? Proclaiming the gospel can often sound something that, like something that comes out of a megaphone. Rather, and nobody sends a love letter via a megaphone, right? <laughs> Please don't. Um, it can never be received as such. So we need to change our posture. One of, one of not just simply proclaiming, right? So... What can our posture look like? Valuing and seeking the image of God in others changes our posture from a stance of proclamation to one of impending embrace. Next slide. Isn't that more friendly? Well, it's got my face on it, so I can apologize for that. Um, and it makes me remember the story of the prodigal son and the patience and the, the ever-expectancy of the father's embrace in that story waiting and waiting with his embrace open, regardless of what the prodigal son has done, right? He's waiting. And, he, and so much so, he can't wait. He runs to the son and embraces. And so 
what our posture can look like as we think of ourselves as, I'm going to use the term American Christians to mean those of us who were raised in the evangelical, mostly white American Christian church, because that's my people group, right? And so I'm going to use that phrase. It doesn't include everybody that should be included, but for the sake of expediency, I'll, I'll phrase American Christian church to mean that, if that's all right. So as I look at that, what posture do I take that, that encourages what we hope to see in Revelation 7, 9, and 10 happen now and now, more, now and more and more? I, I, I'm pulling from a theologian that, comes from, that is a Korean-American theologian. He's written um, quite a bit of work on the Imago Dei, played out into a multi, multicultural um, setting, ministry. And he coins this term marginality, a concept of marginality. So basically, we could, we could say that marginality is entering into situations, into relationships, into ministries, right? And not placing ourselves at the center, but placing ourselves on, on the margins. As we go to people in our society who are not the dominant group, right, especially, if we go into that situation with ourselves leaving space in the middle for the other groups to, co to also come into the relationship, the ministry, um, the expression of, of our lives, um, Something more is possible when we do that. But our tendency is not that. Especially me as a, as a white American male Christian, my training, my culture, everything tells me to go and be the center, right? Take the words, be the center, attract people to yourself, and hopefully reflect Christ in the midst of that. Right? That's my culture, right? But that's, that's not what Lee is talking about. He says, everyone tends to seek his or her center at the center, which belongs to the dominant group. And this is sort of a human trait that's true, right? but we can choose something different. And I think we must choose something different if we hope to see the, our intentions in the Imago Dei uh, become a reality. So as the church seeks direction in discovering the way of a transformative marginality, it can find moorings in the duly transcendent and imminent God of Scripture, in the incarnate Son of God, and in humanity's own design in the image of God. Christ is with us, Emmanuel, right? And we must position ourselves and posture ourselves to reflect that as, as true. As we come into our society here in RVA that we know now is not homogenous by any stretch of the imagination. Next slide, please. Pulling from um, a, a second-generation Mexican-American Mexican theologian, Javier Lanas, he writes this. We ourselves are challenged to go to the fronteras where Jesus told his disciples that they would find him and there to enter into and experience the ambiguity of life lived in the middle zones. We are challenged to see the other, to really see and hear and serve the immigrant and native other who is our neighbor, so that the invisible ones who have been created in the image and likeness of God might be made visible. And together as Familia and Cristo, a family of Christ, we might celebrate the embodied hope, esperanza, that is our promise in community. It's a completely different picture than going in as the center, right? But so much is available if, if we do. If we enter into our ministry environments from the margins intention, intentionally. If we value the discovery of the image of God in others for their benefit and for our own eschatological destination, we might value the space between our groups as we come together. And Lee uh, calls the space between us the creative core. It's the place where the glory of God is revealed, our belief becomes stronger, and our understanding of God more accurate. This causes us to see culture, personalities, families, communities as conducive to reflecting the glory of God. There is great purpose in this eschatological vision from Revelation 7, and it's actually quite useful to us here and now. It teaches us a lot. Um, 
So as I look at Third Church and where you're at, the work that you've already done to understand who you are, right? This is tremendous. As I look at the, the decisions that you've made as a church to say, we aren't what we could be, right? And, and you're gaining knowledge. You're having the series that says, hey, we need to understand more and we need to make steps toward this, this vision of, of who we are, who the church is. Um, I look at a couple of things that are really quite useful to you. And I want to touch on those because I think you could really capitalize on something and actually lead the city of Richmond into this, a really beautiful picture of what the gospel is in, in the, rea the reality of our diversified um, community. I look at your relationship with the Arabic Christian church. My own experience has been with um, the Arab culture and the Arab Christian culture uh, quite a bit. Uh, a lot of colleagues and friends from, from Egypt and Beirut, Lebanon, and, um, and across the Middle East and North Africa. And, and their influence in my life has been great, and I've learned so much about who God is because of them. So as I look at your situation, you're likely to encounter some things as you, you explore the idea of a, a, a full partnership with the Arabic Christian Church. Um, you're going to learn something about warmth and hospitality that, okay, we're in the South, right? And there's, there's the idea that there's great hospitality here in the South, right? And that, that's true but you're going to learn something a bit more about hospitality and warmth as you interact with, with our Egyptian friends um, and other Arabic Christian brothers and sisters. They do it well, and there's much to be learned. Um, so capitalize on that. Learn from that. Become that. Um, <laughs> it's, it's tremendously useful as we see another culture handle the Scripture in a way that makes us stop and say, whoa, I wish that I could be that way too, you know, with God. Um, Another thing, their experiences have often been from the margins of society across the Middle East, right, and North Africa. So that experience becomes useful to us as we encounter our Arabic Christian brothers and sisters here, right? They understand what it is to be from the margins. They can help us understand how do we approach people who are on the margins of our society here and now, right? How to do it carefully and, and understanding the, maybe the pain and the, the difficulties that have been present for people in such situations. So let's, let's, we can take this opportunity and, and gain that knowledge from them and, and understanding how do we go out and, and become something different um, than we are today. Uh, this is a fun one. My family learned this the hard way many times. We learn to value relationship over time and orderly events, right? It can be funny, right? So my family, coming from this world, right, this, this sphere of the world, we're on time, I'm always early, unless my wife gets her way. <laughs> um, and we want to end on time, and we want to get to the next event, and next event, we plan a lot of things in our day. Our dear friends from Egypt taught us how not to be that way so much. Um, and while we might have missed other potentially potential meetings and events that we had planned in our day, we gained greatly in understanding of how to actually love one another and be hospitable and warm and and truly take the time it takes to know one another well, right? But it didn't go easily all of the time, you know? But that's okay. That, that discomfort that from when our cultures combined was a tremendously fruitful environment and time for us. We can also understand that the culture from the Middle East and North Africa often understands honor and shame better than we do, right? We're, we come from a different understanding. And so as we look at Scripture, which was written in a context that also valued honor and shame, we can say, how do we read the Scripture differently without our own American Christian uh, lenses on? 
Because there's more to be gained here if we can gain another insight. It's really useful to us. Now, I started to learn this as a sort of new Christian American guy out into the world, right? I picked up a book, fortunately, that was called Jesus Through Middle Eastern Eyes um, by Kenneth Bailey. And this guy had lived in the Middle East a long time. He studied theology, and he began to rework his own theology based on the culture that he was living in, which he knew was more similar to ancient biblical text culture than his own. And so this was a great way to begin that discovery for me. Um, but I would suggest for you here, you could read that book if you like to read, right? But you have an amazing opportunity with the Arabic Christian Church to sit down over coffee and with the Bible and, and devotion and praise and come together and begin to understand what it looks like from, what the scripture looks like from an Arabic or an Egyptian or um, any of the cultures that come out of the Middle East. Um, I would suggest that would be a great place to start and a safe place to start because you already know that you're following the same Lord, right? You're, you're Christians together, right? So what safer place with love as, as the backbone of our, of, of our faith, you know, than to sit and learn with, some, with a group of people like that? I would suggest doing that. And you'll eat well, and you'll have good coffee, and you should cancel some plans. <laughs> That's okay to say, right? <laughs> um, there's something else that's, that's possible. Um, to, I think it's really good to know that I'm not speaking against our own culture, right? I'm trying to be honest with it, right, and say there's some limitations here. There's more to know beyond our own culture, right? But in the midst of cultural discovery, we'll find, you find out that it's kind of tiring, actually, to try to be something that you're not all the time. So it's okay to be who you are, right? It's, but it's really important to be lo hold that loosely and, and attempt to become something more than you are, right? And it's okay to be yourself in certain situations, and it's okay to explore what, it, what it's like to be like somebody else, like um, our Arabic sister, uh, brothers and sisters for periods of time. But realize it might be a little tiring, right? You might need to back away from that from, from time to time. Be honest with it. It's, it's okay. It can be a journey. Um, lastly, uh, about the Arabic Christian church and their influence, if you allow them to influence your activities as well, situates you very nicely for relationships beyond that out into the community where the diversity is much greater, right? So you begin to learn how to learn to be really culturally sensitive and expressive in, in, in your faith and your practice um, through that relationship. So now you can go out into the community with, with a new view of the world, a new, new flexibility, if you will. So that, that's a tremendously good thing. Another thing that I've discovered through talking with LJ is that you're moving towards a parish model um, for the, your community. And I know that's in the discovery phase currently. But there's a huge benefit to you as, as you might move into that, as you think about becoming this, this diversified, unified, beautiful picture of the global church here. Um, parish models are smaller generally. Parishes are smaller than the big corporate church, right? And so you have the, the ability to discover together, right? It's always better to discover together. Never go on a journey alone, right? Always go together. You can dedicate yourself to learning culture together, right? As we come to the table, we bring a lot of knowledge, right, and experience, and we can bring books and studies and things like that and come together and learn together. You could go into your gatherings and welcome other cultures in in a way that doesn't feel so uncertain or scary even, right? Don't, you, when we're not alone, when we're with some of people from our own culture and embracing another culture, it's a pretty cool thing, actually. It's pretty amazing and pretty fun. Um, 
Okay. Being in, in a parish model, being in a smaller group, allows us to sort of catch ourselves when we're holding too tightly to our own understanding and our own uh, culture and way of seeing things, right? Because it's slippery a little bit, right? We tend to like comfort a bit, and so we spend some time exploring and being open to new ideas, and then we kind of retreat a little bit, right? It's not a progression linearly forward, right? So being in a group gives us some accountability to say, you know, wait a minute, um, this might be a time to rest from our exploration, right? Might, we might be tired, or maybe, just maybe, we've retreated a little bit too much, and we can re-encourage ourselves to this, this discovery of the world around us. So, um, I would suggest, my, my suggestion to you is to be, as you move into a parish model potentially, be available to one another, challenge one another, encourage one another to become more and more this eschatological vision here and now in our city. Um, now, specifically, if you want to say, well, what do we do, right? What practically can we do to go from where we're at here, right, to where we think we ought, might, ought to be? Um, there are so many opportunities in our community to, to experience um, the cultures that make their home here. There are so many ESL, English as a Second Language, classes going on, even here, I think, at this church, right, and, and beyond, where if you had some time in your schedule, you, you, you could, you know English really well, most of us, right? <laughs> I'm trying, I'm really trying. <laughs> um, you know, so that's a, that's a benefit, but it, so by being useful with our English skills, we can actually begin to understand and learn the cultures of the world that call Richmond home. Um, we could adopt families through any of the resettlement agencies here. Uh, Catholic Commonwealth Charities, Church World Services, International Rescue Committee are the three main refugee resettlement agencies in our city. Um, and they could always use help. You know, there's always people who are coming into our country who need resources, need, need a beginning. And it's a great place to begin to understand what that journey is like, what their cultures are like, and what that can mean for us in between us. Um, so we have an organization we've just started called City Oasis, and our role is to help internationals of any type become acclimated to this city and thrive in our city. Because that's really good for our, our communities, to have everybody thriving. And so if you wanted to volunteer, you could contact me, and we could get, connect you with many, many opportunities. Uh, Reestablish Richmond is another organization in town who works primarily with the refugee population, and they're doing exceptional work. I would recommend if you find them and you have time to volunteer, it's a great place to begin learning more. Um, Rich, uh, VCU has a great conversation program. And so if you don't want a lot of stress, you don't want to do a lot of research and work, but you like to talk, right? The rules of the, the conversation group is use words together, English words together, so that people can simply practice speaking English who desire to learn our, the language of, of our country. And so that would be a great thing. So there are many opportunities. All are great for learning how to get better at discovering the image of God in others. But I'll tell you this, uh, I could have spent 25, 30 minutes talking about all of the opportunities to go out and engage uh, the world at our doors, at our doorstep, right? There's lots of volunteer opportunities. But if we're specifically asking, how do we go from the church that we are today to a picture of the church that looks like Revelation 7, 9 through 10, going out and being helpful while it's really good, right? Doing something kind to somebody has inherent value. It doesn't always produce this picture that we're hoping. But if we go with a different posture, right? We go with the posture that says, hey, I can actually understand God better because I know the cultures, people from the cultures that make their home here. And as we explore scripture together, as we explore life lived in faith under the lordship of Christ together, 
something amazingly beautiful and creative and exciting is possible. So I suggest that connect with some of these opportunities, but go, th- go, th- go into it prayerfully with a new posture, seeking the Im- image of God in all the cultures that make, home, make their homes here. Thank you. I think for the sake of time, we're not going to have time to do Q&A. But as I mentioned earlier, um, Dan and myself will be around afterwards. I wanted to see if, Tom, you could put up that um, ministry resources slide that I had. And I want to talk about that for a moment. How many of you have been to our ECO website in the past? Great. There's some wonderful resources, and I would encourage you to go to the website and look through there, especially in global sec- in the global section. I, I was on a team that helped put the global section together. So there is some valuable information there, lots of um, things that you can look into and learn more about um, God's heart for the world. But on this particular page, and it's kind of tricky to get to, but you have to find ministry resources. It's a drop-down menu, and you want to go right to the ministry resources page. And the ECO website is eco-press.org. When you go onto this site, you'll find ministry resources. If you have problems locating this, just give me a holler, and I'll help you. But if you pull down that, you'll see that there's this mission insight um, resources and web kit. It's actually a free resource to all of our churches so that we can go on there and find out what the demographics is of our particular area. So we're going to try to get Dan's um, information up on the website as well, but this would be another opportunity that you could have to look and see who's in your neighborhood, who is around your community, who lives near you, and maybe have an opportunity to understand a little bit more about their particular culture so then you can go and talk to them and share the love of Christ with them and befriend them. Now, speaking of opportunities to befriend, I had a nice conversation with Carissa, and I'd like Carissa McPherson to come up and share about an opportunity that she um, became aware of this week. Hi, everyone. My name is Carissa McPherson. My husband and son and I joined Third Church last year. I sat out with you all last Sunday and had absolutely no idea I'd be standing up here this Sunday But on Thursday, I was taking a packet of papers, all of our tax documents, to our accountant at a little hole-in-the-wall accountant place on Parham and right where it intersects with Broad Street. And as I was walking back to my car, I noticed the name on the door of the room next to the accountant. And it said, Church World Service, Immigration and Refugees. And I don't know about you all, but my Facebook is just full of people that are sharing articles about the plight of the refugees and my heart has been broken reading these stories about what is happening to them but I haven't known anything practical that I could do other than donate money to different aid organizations so I felt like God was telling me to walk inside which is not really my personality so I almost didn't and then I really felt like God was telling me to walk inside so I turned around and I went in the door and I ended up having a fantastic conversation with a woman named Sadiqa And she is a former refugee herself. She's been in the United States about 20 years. And she is now the entry coordinator for refugees that are coming to Richmond that get legal aid through this church world service organization. 
And she showed me their storeroom and told me that the government gives a specific allocation for individuals and a specific allocation of financial resources for families. And they like to use that to put four walls and pay for utilities for the refugees that come to Richmond. But when they don't have enough resources and supplies like toilet paper, pots and pans, blankets, they have to use those financial resources to buy those items. And she showed me their storeroom and the shelves were pretty empty. And I went out to my car and called my husband and just said, we're going through all our closets tonight. We're gonna find some blankets, we're gonna take them. So I wanted to tell you all about this organization. There's a practical need for household items, for blankets, pots and pans, personal hygiene items. If you are able to drop those off, you can drop them off right at their location. They're at the intersection of Parham and Broad. I know that LJ printed out 75 copies of a list of the things that they need the most, and they're on the table right by the door closest to the parking lot. Also, LJ was sharing with me that the Arabic church has some opportunities for very similar types of needs that they can put directly into the hands of refugees that are coming to Richmond. So if you are looking for something practical to do, not another hashtag or an article share, I would highly encourage you to check out Church World Service or some of the other organizations here in Richmond and donate things that you already have in your closet. So thank you so much for letting me speak today. I know that the Christian Arabic Church is also looking for furniture. So if you have furniture, don't give it to somewhere else. Hang on to it. I w didn't want to mention a name. Um, hang on to it. Contact me. I'll contact Fakri, and we'll get the furniture to them as well. And they need kitchen resources is what I understand, things for the kitchen. So Fakri is always, it seems, always meeting somebody at the airport. And at one day we got together for um, a meal, and he said, I have to go. I have to put my jeans on. I'm going to get a bunch of furniture, and then I've got to go get that and bring it back and store it and all that kind of stuff. So we have great opportunities to reach out. Um, and help in practical ways. I like what Carissa said because this is an action item. We can do this. But going beyond that, it's continuing to understand about refugees and immigrants and how we can be a light into um, our own communities. And for that, I have another announcement. In March, we're going to piggyback off of this. We're going to do four weeks, same time. Was it that we used to say with Batman? Same bat time, same bat channel. Back here, I guess, or somewhere in here in the building, we'll be talking about the, some of those distinct cultures that we, that Dan highlighted on, and talk about how we can befriend uh, our Pakistani community. How can we befriend? What? How can we do that? What's? Why are they coming here? Understand a little bit more about the immigration process as it has been in the past. We'll be exploring that for four weeks. So mark your calendars for that. But above all, remember. It's building relationships with folks, building relationships with people that are different than us. Now, as we wrap up our time together, you'll remember at the beginning, we talked about um, the text about Abraham being called to all, to be a blessing to all. And we, it was all families. Remember, we said it was ethnicities. It was um, peoples. It was nations. What I'd like you to do as we close our time here today is to be thinking about that when you're opening up scripture. Start looking for nations, peoples, 
families and see where God is bringing those things, I think you'll have a new perspective. We'll begin to look at scripture differently when we start looking for those particular words. So what I'd like to do as we bring our time to a close is I want us to read a passage together. And I, there are some things that have been bolded, some words, and some have not. So you're going to need to, when you're reading this passage, because we're going to read it together, to really notice the bolded ones and then to notice the ones that LJ forgot to bold as well. And then when you go home, I want you to start reading scripture and looking for those particular things families how we today god has called the church just as he called abraham to be a, a blessing to all so we're going to read psalm 67 i'm going to ask you in a moment not yet to stand if you are able and so as soon as it comes up okay yes if you can stand please we're going to read together And let's project nice and loud. And when you come across the words that say nations, peoples, maybe you want to say that with a little bit more gusto. R starting with verse 1, together reading, May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine on us so that your ways will be known on earth, your salvation among the nations. May the peoples praise you, God. May all the peoples praise you. May the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you rule the peoples with iniquity and guide the nations of the earth. May the peoples praise you, God. May all the peoples praise you. The land yields its harvest. God, our God, blesses us. May God bless us still so that the ends of the earth will fear him. So, Father, we give this time to you. We thank you for the things that we've heard this morning. We thank you, Lord, for those who are in our community, who are immigrants and refugees. We thank you for neighbors that we don't know, that need to know more about you. Would you help us, God, to be a light to our neighborhoods, to our communities, to our nation, and to our world? It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.